Psalms 1 is where we are today. The first psalm that uh, is found in the book of Psalms is where we'll find our text this morning. As you can see on the screens, we're preaching a, a sermon series on Sunday mornings entitled The Great Chapters of the Bible. And of course, this sermon series is very subjective. It's just subjective to what I feel like are the great chapters of the Bible. You may be sitting here and you may be thinking, you know, well, he skipped one of the great chapters of the Bible. And uh, here's what I would tell you. If you're ever a pastor and you get a chance to preach a sermon series like that, you make sure you preach that one. If that to you is one of the great chapters of the Bible, truth of the matter is all the chapters of the Bible are great. But you get the idea. Some of them are a little bit more well-known, and they resonate just a little bit more with us than others. Maybe, maybe I've preached from one of these chapters, and you've thought, well, I'm not so sure that's one of the great chapters of the Bible. And uh, you just keep that opinion to yourself, and I think we'll all be just fine, right? We're in Psalm 1 this morning, what I believe is truly one of the great chapters of the Bible. Let's just look at it all together. We'll begin reading in verse number one, just six verses here, six portions of this psalm, and so we'll read them, read them and, and then we'll see what the Lord has for us this morning. The Bible says in verse number one, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The Lord's help this morning, I'd like to preach the message that I've simply entitled, The Happy Man. The Happy Man. The book of Psalms is the longest book in our Bible. It comprises 150 we might call them chapters. Really what they are, they're psalms. It's sometimes referred to as heaven's hymn book, or perhaps we might say the Hebrew hymn book. Half of the psalms, or 75, we believe, were written by King David. He's known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. Some were written by a man by the name of Asaph. And even, did you know that Moses, the great Old Testament character Moses wrote at least one of the Psalms. From what we know, he wrote Psalm 90, which is another great Psalm, a great chapter in the Bible. However, the first Psalm is, is sort of known as an orphan Psalm because no human author is identified. Dr. John Phillips writes that it is without author or inscription, owning no stated author but God himself. I believe, truly, the first psalm is one of the great psalms in all of the Bible, and as such, it is one of the great chapters in our Bible. This psalm is intriguing because it identifies the ways of the blessed man. The word blessed in verse number one is translated from the Hebrew word esher, and it, it literally means this. It means happy or, or even taking a step further, how happy. So in other words, we, we might, if, if we were, if we were reading this verse in that, in that way, we might even read it this way. We would read it to say, how happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. There is a pious thought that says you can be happy or you can be holy. 
but you can't be both. I would, I would beg to differ. I would say that this text begs to differ as well. The text seems to indicate that one can be both holy and be happy at the same time. In fact, we might even take it a step further and we might say what the Bible is saying that depending on how holy you are will determine also how happy you are. Or we could say it this way. How unholy someone is might determine just how unhappy they are. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I like to be happy. Uh, I like to smile. I like to laugh. I like to have a good time. When I was a boy growing up, my, my parents, they, you know, as parents, you sort of, you know, you pick up on your kids and their personalities and different things like that. I remember my, my parents came to me one day and they said, you know, we, we feel like you're happy-go-lucky. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Happy-go-lucky. I don't know where it came from, but that's what they identified me as being. And I just got to be honest with you. I, I like that designation. I prefer that to the way some people are. You know, some people are miserable, go be more miserable. I like happy-go-lucky myself. And I think I'm just going to stay there as long as I possibly can. Um, I like to be around other people that like to smile and like to laugh and like to have a good time. Uh, I think that, you know, as Christians and as believers, we, um, let, me just, let me just say it this way. I, I think nobody has better time in life than believers. Uh, I mean that, and I believe that with all of my heart. Here's why. Here's why. Because the things that we enjoy, so long as they're in line with this book, come with no regrets. The things that the world tries to enjoy in order to provide or to produce some level of happiness, oftentimes, oftentimes in the moment it feels really, really good. But when that moment passes and they get to the other side of the thing, they're left with lots of remorse and lots of guilt and lots of regret over the behaviors that they have involved themselves in in order to find some temporary moment of pleasure or of happiness. Um, as I look around me, I just have to be honest, I don't see, I don't see a lot of people that are truly happy. I mean, I mean, really happy. As I said a moment ago, there, there are moments of happiness in all people's lives and, and moments of joy in which we're doing something that we might say is fun or enjoyable, something that brings some level of pleasure to us. But, but, but I, I would say this, most people alive on planet earth today, they lack what I would refer to as an, an abiding happiness. In, in other words, a, a, a happiness that is ever present with them regardless of circumstances, regardless of trials, regardless of issues that they're going through. What if I told you, what if I told you that it is indeed possible for you to possess a happiness that never goes away? Now think about that for a moment. A happiness that never fades that is ever present, that is always abiding, that is not contingent upon your circumstances, and a happiness, listen, a happiness that truly satisfies. I believe, I believe that that's the type of happiness that is identified in Psalm 1, and it is a happiness that is available to every individual, and the steps to achieve it are very clearly revealed in this first psalm. And because, because happiness is such a missing ingredient in the lives of most people, then I would say that this is truly one of the great chapters in the Bible, because happiness is something everyone wants, very few have, and yet we find in the first psalm the way to true happiness. 
So as you read this text from now on, when you see the word blessed, I want you to, I want you to think about what it's really saying there. He's saying this, how happy, how happy is the man that lives the life that is identified in the first song. Let me share with you three specific thoughts about this particular text and we'll be done this morning. Number one, let me say this, you cannot be happy when influenced by those who are unhappy. You cannot be a happy person when you are surrounded and continually influenced by those who are unhappy. I would say that that is the meaning or the idea behind verse number one, where the psalmist writes, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the godly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful one day a farmer. He grabbed a shotgun and he took it outside to shoot at a flock of pesky crows. Now don't get mad at me, it's the farmer that's doing it, all right? And so he's out on his farm and he takes his gun and he finds the crows and he, he just begins to unleash some shots on them. And unfortunately, he did not see his, his sociable pet parrot that had joined with the crows that day. And after firing a few shots, he walked over to the fallen birds and he was surprised among all of them that had fluttered to the ground. He, he was surprised to find his parrot that was badly ruffled with a broken wing. The farmer scooped the parrot up and he carried it inside. And when his children saw the injured bird, they asked, Dad, what happened? To which the farmer of relatively few words simply replied, Bad company. Bad company. The truth of the matter is, is that, you know, if you want to you get, if you're a parrot and you want to get shot, then go hang out with the crows, right? I mean, I think that's the idea of the story. And here, here, here it is. If you want to be a happy, if you want to be happy, then you better surround yourself with other people who are happy. If you surround yourself with people who are unhappy, don't be surprised when you yourself are unhappy as well. I think, I think what he's trying to say here is, is two key thoughts or two key ideas, and here they are. Number one is this, who you allow to influence you matters. Who you allow to influence you matters. You know, there is an undeniable truth that is really discovered in life and, and specifically is found in Scripture. And it says essentially this, that you either are right now or you will be what your friends are. So look, so look around you. If you're hanging out with a bunch of crows, then you're, you're going to find yourself with the destiny of the crows eventually someday. Uh, that's, that's sort of the idea. Proverbs says it a little bit more eloquently. In Proverbs 13, in verse number 20, Solomon writes these words, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the counsel, uh, excuse me, the countenance of his friends. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse number 33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. I remember as a boy growing up and spending time with my friends, and I would sometimes come home from a day of school or maybe from some type of an activity, and my parents, they would say, we can tell you've been hanging out with so-and-so. And I was always astounded by that. How did they know? You know, my mom did tell me when I was a boy, she had eyes on the back of her head, but this is a step beyond that. I mean, she's not even around, and she knows who I'm spending time with and who I'm talking to. Well, because she understands the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture says, listen, you hang around with fools, and those are your companions. You're going to be destroyed. You're going to become like them. 
But if you walk with wise men, you'll be wise. She understood, my, my dad understood, that, that evil communications corrupt someone even with good manners. So, so what, we're, what we're getting at, what, what the psalmist is getting at, is this, that who you identify with, who you allow to influence you, it really matters. A good person who surrounds himself with fools will eventually become a fool. I, I think to myself that Lot, the Old Testament character, he fell victim to this, didn't he? The Bible says about Lot and his time in Sodom that it vexed his righteous soul. And did you know that Lot's family was completely and utterly destroyed because of Sodom's evil influences? The Bible says about Lot that he was a righteous man. And yet even this righteous man was vexed. He was troubled. He was, he was bothered greatly because he lived in this place called Sodom. He allowed Sodom to influence him and to influence his own family. You may wonder why you're not happy or why you're not blessed. Maybe you come in this morning and you think to yourself, man, I need to listen to this message because I feel like I'm lacking this idea of happiness in my life. And maybe just maybe this first point is something that you need to consider who, who you hang around, who you allow to influence you. It matters. It will determine just how happy you are or you may not be. Could it be that you've consistently allowed those who are unhappy to be key influencers and contributors to your life? So we see who you allow to influence you matters. But number two, let me say this. The happy man, he avoids the slippery slope of ungodly influences. Make no mistake about it. There is a slippery slope that is identified here. You know, the devil is so good at what he does. He, 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 never, uh, he never shows you the end result of a thing. He just shows you the, 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 the front side of it to make it look so good and so appealing. In recent days as a family, we... Uh, we have been in the market for a, a, a new car. When I say a new car, a new used car. A new car to us, but a car that is, that is used. And, um, and, and so, you know, I've spent a lot of time on Facebook Marketplace looking at vehicles. And, and um, you, know what I've, you know what I've discovered? When somebody's trying to sell a car, they, they take pictures from all the best angles, and then they upload those, those pictures. And, uh, and if, there's, if there's some major, major problems with the car, they probably won't, they just just not going to take the pictures of that area in which there's a major problem. And so here I am, and I'm thinking, wow, this, this car looks sharp, and, and, uh, and it's within our price range, and, it, and it, it's, a, it's a model that we think we can trust. Let's go check out this vehicle. And so we drive to wherever that vehicle is, and when we arrive there, here's what we discover. We discover dents that we did not see in the original pictures. We discover scratches in the car that we're not they were not identified online. Um, I, I've, even, I've even discovered cigarette burns in the seats of the, of the cars that certainly were not identified in the pictures themselves. And I'm thinking to myself, if I would have known, if I would have known the true condition of this vehicle, I would not have wasted my time and driven all the way here. Isn't that just like the devil? Who, 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 he, never, he never shows you the end result of a thing. He, he uploads, listen, whatever your vice is, whatever your struggle is, your temptation is, he uploads all of the, all of the wonderful aspects of this thing and he, and he tempts you and he allures you and he says, here, come give this a try. And it's not, listen, it's not until uh, you have taken a bite, so to speak. It's not until you have taken it for a test drive in which you realize this thing is not as it was advertised. 
so true. That's what the devil does. He never, listen, he never leads off. He never tempts a, a believer by inviting them to sit in the seat of the scornful. He doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, come on over here. Come on over here. I want, you to, I want you to sit down in the seat because you would recoil at that. I don't want to sit in the seat of the scornful. I don't want to be miserable like that. I don't want a black cloud hovering over me my whole life. No, I don't want to go there. So he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't tell you that at the end, the end of the slippery slope leads one to sitting in the seat of the scornful. He, he doesn't do that at all. Here's what he does. He just invites you to walk casually in the presence of the ungodly. And aren't we, aren't we all struggling not to walk casually in the presence of the ungodly? Because the ungodly, listen, the ungodly has his fingerprints all over this world. The ungodly, listen, is influencing just about everything. Every newspaper you pick up, every website just about that you visit, every, can we just be real frank? Even movies in 2022 that are geared towards families and are geared towards children have a hidden agenda and sometimes it's not so hidden. And you know who has written that agenda? You know who is controlling that? Is the ungodly. The devil, the devil, he, he packages it and he appeal, he makes it so appealing. He says, oh, this is innocent. This is fun. This will, this will stir your patriotism. This will be something that is funny and enjoyable and it'll be a nice night of entertainment for your family. And you never stop to realize, hold on a minute. I am allowing, I am allowing myself to walk casually in the presence of the ungodly. If I stay there long enough, I'm no longer just walking through. But now I'm standing around and I'm chatting it up with sinners. And I'm becoming more and more like them. And if I'm not careful, listen, the slippery slope, it doesn't, it doesn't stop with just someone walking in the presence of the ungodly, in the council of the ungodly, or standing in the way of sinners. But listen, before long, someone, someone is sitting in the seat of the scornful. I'm choosing Brother Mike's seat for this because I don't want to choose mine as the seat of the scornful, right? There is a slippery slope. And if you want to be happy, you want to truly be happy and blessed? You better, you better stay as far away from that slope as possible. You better protect your life, and you better protect the lives of your children and of your grandchildren, and you better, you better determine, listen, we're not going anywhere near. So God helping us, God helping us to walk in his spirit and to obey him, we don't want any, any, our, our lives to be anywhere near being surrounded by unsaved and ungodly people because those people, listen, they're not happy and they're not blessed. If we want to be happy, we want the key to true happiness. God's word is the key to true happiness. Look in verse number two. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So, so he's, he's, he said, listen, the, the, the key that unlocks the door to happiness, many people think, well, it's hanging out with the ungodly and it's doing what ungodly people do. That's what, that's what true happiness is. And he's clearly identified that's not it. That's not it. You'll, you'll, never, you'll never be happy and blessed by by. by taking the key from the ungodly and trying to open the key that unlocks the, the door to happiness. But he, but he says, but hold on a minute. Here, here's, here's the real key. It's his delight being in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate both day and night. You know, a lock will remain locked unless someone has the key to open it. Many of you are aware that we're, we're changing some things around here. And so I arrived at the church early this morning at 7.30 and I was ready to run through my normal routine. I pulled my keys out of my pocket and I walked up to this back door here and I turned it and it would not open. True, true story. The pastor was locked out of the church this morning. Literally, I couldn't get in. I have, 
And I thought, well, let, let me try this other door over here. And I walked over it and I put the key in and this door didn't work either. And I thought, well, well, we're, we're over two, but let's see if maybe we can get over by where the childcare and the nurseries are. And so I walked over there and as I turned, as I turned the corner, as I turned the corner, I startled two turkeys on the property. True story. All of that happened this morning. I startled them. They startled, they startled me. Those turkeys have been known to be a little aggressive. And I thought to myself, you know, maybe we'll just cancel church today and we'll just do an online service or fortunately, fortunately, my key opened the door and the turkeys left me alone, you know, because I was ready for them. I was, I was ready for them. But you get the idea, right? That if, if you don't have the right key, you're not getting in. And, and so many people want to be happy, but they, listen, they lack, they lack the key that unlocks the door to happiness. The key to happiness is not, is, is not pleasing yourself and pleasing your flesh. It's not more fun experiences and better trips and, and a bigger house and a nicer car. Listen, that, that, that all, of, all that will do is, make you, is, is provide you with a temporary happiness, but eventually all of that wears off. The, the, the real key that unlocks the door to happiness is this book that you hold in your lap. And if you'll live, listen, if you'll live according to this book, oh, listen, you'll be happy. You'll be happy. Notice, notice there's, a, there's a couple of things that are, are discovered here. I would say that, that, that if we're going to really be happy and, and we're going to look at God's word in the right way, we must, number one, have a passion to know what God's word says. Look at the word he uses there. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, so we, so we know, we see words like law and commandments and statutes and words. All of that is referring to the Bible. It's referring to this book that we hold in our hands this morning. So that word delight is really, really key and speaks of a passion to know what God's word says. Did you know that Job said this in Job twenty three twelve? He says, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You know what Job said? Job said, I, 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 find, I find more value and more worth and more pleasure from the words that come from the mouth of God than I do from the, from the finest meal that I could sit down and I could enjoy. The Bible says this in Psalm 19, verses 9 and 10, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Jeremiah 15, 16, he writes, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. You know, there's a, there's a funny phrase that's sometimes used, and it says this, you are what you eat. Did you know that in every instance that we have given you from the Old Testament, these scriptures, Job, Psalms, and Jeremiah, it, it talks about eating or ingesting or dining on the word of God. In other, words, in other words, God says, if, if you are what you eat, then you could eat nothing better than this book. Devour it. Read it. I mean, dine on it three, day, three times a day. I mean, over and over and over again, get into this book. Have a passion to know what God's word says. How can you meditate on something that you don't really know? I mean, if I'm going to meditate on God's word, I must have I must first have a working knowledge of what it actually says and what it teaches. And my, my discovery is this, that the happiest people I know are folks who are most familiar with this book. And they're not just familiar with it, but that leads us to our second thought, and that is this, not only a passion to 
know what God's word says, but notice, secondly, a passion to do what God's word says. The Bible says in Psalm 40 and verse number eight, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. First John 5 and verse number three says, for this is the love of God, and his commandments are not grievous. You know, there are many who, who know what God's word says, right? They, they know what's there, but they simply are, are not willing to obey what is found there. I, I'm reminded of Balaam. You remember the story of Balaam there in the Old Testament? He knew God's word. He knew what God wanted him to do, but he was willing, listen, he was willing to disregard what God said to him for profit, for gain, or for reward. There's another, there's another obscure Old Testament character that I'll just rehearse in your mind. You may be familiar with him, you may, be, may not be, but in 1 Kings chapter number 13, there's a man of God who is told to go to the king, and he's told to pronounce a word from the Lord, and then he's told to turn around and to go home and not to eat anything or not to drink anything. He got to the king, and he, he relayed the message, and on his way home, a, a prophet, uh, an old, revered prophet, he came to him, and he said, he said, hey, I want to invite you to come into my house and have a meal with me and to have uh, a drink with me and, and, uh, and even to you know, spend some time just relaxing. And he says, oh, I, I can't do that. Spend the night anywhere just to do what I've been told. And the old, the old revered prophet, he, he said this. He says, oh, well, God has, God has actually told me to do this. God has told me to invite you into my home. And the man of God, he's thinking, and he respects this old revered prophet, and he thinks to himself, well, you know, he's a, he's a really wise man, and he's known uh, throughout his, his life and throughout his history as being someone that we can trust. And if he's telling me that God has spoken to him, well, then so be it. And, and, and he turns aside, and he, and he sits down with this man in his house, and he eats, and he drinks, and listen, listen, God judged him for disregarding God's word. Did you know that? In, in other words, in other words, you know what the, the truth is? The truth of the matter is, you better know this book because anybody can deceive you. Anybody can deceive you. Did you know I'm the pastor and I, I think many of you are assuming, you're assuming that when you come, I'm just gonna tell you what God's word has to say, but what if I, what if I you know, get really lax and careless in my walk with God and I start saying things that aren't found in this book? We're not supposed to do that, but you know, a lot of Christians are just like, well, he's the pastor, you know, and... It doesn't sound right, but he's the pastor. I guess, I guess he's going to answer someday for the way that he leads this church. No, hold on a minute. You're part of this church, aren't you? you know, do you know what this Bible teaches? Do you know what this book says? Are you able to hold someone accountable? Listen to what the Apostle, the apostle Paul wrote. Uh, fascinating. He says in, in, in the book of Galatians chapter 1, he says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So, so he's, he's marveling that these people have, have, so, have so quickly moved beyond what they've been taught and what they know the Bible teaches. And here's what he says. He's, he's trying to emphasize the point. And he says this, though we, he's speaking of himself, the apostle Paul, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. You know what he's saying? He's saying if you go home tonight and you lay down in your bed and at two o'clock in the morning an angel appears in your room and he says something, but what he says contradicts this book, you know what he says? He says you absolutely forget about that angel. I don't care how impressive it is to have an angel show up in your bedroom at two o'clock in the morning. If that angel says something contrary to this book, then you're to disregard him. 
know what he's saying? He's saying, if you come to church on Sunday and the pastor stands up and he preaches something that is not according to the truth of this book, then you, then you dismiss what the pastor has said and you say, I'm sorry, he might be a nice guy, but that's not what my, book, my Bible teaches. This is, this is what we're to, to have an allegiance to. Not only that we have a delight or a passion to know what the book says, but that we also have a passion to do what God's word says. Thirdly and finally, we're thinking about happiness. Happiness. We've said that you cannot be happy when surrounded by unhappy people. And we've said that happiness, the key that unlocks the door to happiness is God's word. Thirdly and finally, can I say that happy people discover and fulfill their purpose in life. Happy people discover and fulfill their purpose in life. Would you look in verse number three? And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. When someone discovers true happiness and its source, you will not find them going anywhere else because of the satisfaction that this alone can bring to a life. The psalmist writes that the happy man, he's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. In other words, he knows true happiness, and he, and he says, listen, I found it. I don't need to go looking for it anywhere else. I'm going to plant myself here for the rest of my days. That's the picture that's being revealed there. And some of you are like that. You, you came, and you heard the gospel, and it completely revolutionized your life and transformed your life. And you walked away. Listen, you walked away from all of, the, all of the things of this world and you have planted yourself. You're not perfect. There's nobody that is. But you've planted yourself and you have been faithful over the years. Why? Because that's what the Bible does in the life of a person. It changes them. Many are running, aren't they? To and fro, looking and longing for lasting or abiding happiness and maybe they think they'll find it in a promotion at work or they'll find it in a new relationship with someone or they'll find it in, a, in living in a different house in a nicer neighborhood or maybe living in a completely different climate altogether if I could just leave where I'm at where it's you know so miserable in the winter and if I could go somewhere where it's sort of summertime all year long then I'll truly be happy and can I just be honest with you listen you're, you're, if that's what you're looking for for happiness you're never going to be happy because here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that every place is miserable sometimes, right? Because there's not, a place, there's not a place on planet Earth that is not touched by the curse of sin. And as a result, as a result, there's not a place that you could live and there's not a thing that you could live for apart from this book that will truly provide you with lasting happiness. Truly happy people have discovered their purpose in life and they're fulfilling what God created them to do. This is the source of true happiness. Happy people, what do, we, what do we know about them? Well, number one, they have discovered what God created them for. They've discovered what God created for. Do you see that in verse number three? He'll, he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Notice that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Let me ask you this question. What is, what is an apple tree created for? Is it created to provide shade? Is that, is that what it's created for? That's not what it's created for. Is it, is it created to, to provide a source of wood so that we could warm our houses in the winter and, and have a nice fire together around? Now, obviously, that, those, some of those things are byproducts, but that's not really what an apple tree was created for, right? An apple tree was created to produce apples, produce fruit. That, that's what it exists for. Any other, any other tree and any other fruit that is produced, uh, that's what it's there for. 
And did you know that God, listen, God created you for a purpose and for a reason? There, there's something that, that God alone has created you to do. And the Bible says that, uh, that, that this man, this happy man, he's like a, a, a tree planted by the rivers of water, and he brings forth fruit at the appropriate season. The tree that doesn't produce fruit is considered to be dead, and it's considered to be worthless. So here's the question, what has God created you for? Here's what I believe. I believe God makes no mistakes. There's no mistakes here. We've heard a lot in recent days sort of centering around the whole abortion conversation, and we've heard a lot about unwanted pregnancies and about mistakes or about accidents or, or even about crimes that are committed. And I'm not here, I'm not here to discuss those things, but here's what, here's what I do know. I, I know this. God doesn't make a mistake. Every, listen, every life that is conceived, every life that is conceived, God can use that life. And God has a purpose in that life and, and for creating that life. God knows what he is doing. God didn't make a mistake when you were created. When you were conceived and when you were born, God, God, God knew who you were and God created you for a reason. He created you for a purpose. Think about that for a moment. God designs every one of us for a reason. What were you designed to do? What were you created for? Happy people are, they're just full of fruit. They're just a joy to be around. They leave you, they leave you wanting to be around them more and more. They are content, they're at peace. They are full of, uh, of things like love and joy and peace. Did you know that ultimately God has created us for two reasons? Here's what God created us for. Number one, to love him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And that, that's what God created, created you for. It's what he created me for. It's to love him totally and passionately. It's what God created you for. It's what he created me for, to love him. But you know that, secondly, God created us to love our neighbor as ourself. So God created us to be in a right relationship with him, and then God created us to be, to be through him and through our relationship with him to be right relationship with other people. So how are you doing in those areas? Are you bringing forth fruit in the right season, the appropriate season? Are you full of fruit? Or are you just, are you just a, a tree that can never dig its roots in real deep and you're just running from one thing to another trying to find happiness, trying to find joy and trying to find peace? When you discover the purposes for which God created you and you're as right as you can be with God and as right as you can be with others, you will discover deep and abiding happiness. Second thing that I want to say, and I finish here, and if you've not heard anything else, hear this. Happy people, not only have they discovered, uh, they've discovered what God created them for, but happy people have discovered how to stand in the day of judgment. Happy people have discovered how to stand in the day of judgment. Look at verse number five. The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. There's a man that we support as a church. He's a church planner. He's involved in church planning ministries. His name is Rick Rust. And most of you probably wouldn't necessarily be familiar with him, wouldn't know him, but I'm familiar with him. I have a relationship with him. He's a friend of mine. A year or so ago, Rick was diagnosed with cancer and he went and got some pretty radical treatments done, I believe, in the state of Texas. He came home, and he lives in, he lives in Michigan. And I, I spent some time with him at a fellowship meeting in the month of May, and we sat at a table. We enjoyed a meal together. I said, how you doing, man? And he said, he said I, I think I'm doing well. 
He said, I think I'm doing well. Some of the more recent scans that I had, everything seems to be trending in a positive direction. He said, I don't know how much time I have, but he said, I think I'm doing well. And I was so encouraged by that. I told him, my man, we need, we need you around. You're doing a great work. I don't know, maybe two or three weeks ago, I was online and I saw a report, received an email from him. And he said, you know, I, I know we thought things were going well, but on a recent scan, the doctors discovered some things and we're not doing nearly as well as we thought we were doing. And he said, here very soon, I'll be entering hospice care. I saw an update last night and the update said within a, a few hours, Brother Rust should be in the presence of Jesus. He's maybe, maybe early 60s. So much life still left to live. But you know, as I read the, the update, it came from him. And he's, he's, literally he's talking about the fact that hospice is coming and that they're going to be there to sort of shepherd him and in these last days of his life. And you, and you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there's, there's some fear. I'm sure there's some fear. But ultimately, ultimately, listen, there was confidence in that letter. Why? Why? Because through Christ, this man has discovered that he's going to stand in the day of judgment. He's not going to stand on his own merits. No, on his own merits, he would collapse completely and totally. But he is going to stand in the merits of his Savior, Jesus Christ. That's true happiness. Because here's, here's the one thing, here's the one thing that all of us have in common. The one thing is this, we're all going to die. Every last one of us. And perhaps maybe you're at the age and the stage of life in which you're not thinking a whole lot about that. If you're younger than me, you're not giving a whole lot of thought or consideration to that. Most of us in our, in our minds, my age and younger, I'm, I'm thinking I still, have, I still have a long time to go. But, but, but at the back, listen, at the back of all of our minds, we understand this life is not forever. It's not. It's moving very, very quickly. In fact, the older I get, the faster it moves. I remember hearing my dad use a phrase saying something to this effect, you know, I, I think I have more behind me than I have in front of me. I don't know that I'm there yet, but I'm probably getting really close, really close. And I don't know when I'm going to die, and I don't know how I'm going to die. I don't know what it's going to be like. But here's what I do know. According to the Bible, the Bible says that it's appointed a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. And I wonder if maybe there's a, there's a complete and total lack of happiness in our world because there's an innate, there's an innate um, idea in our minds that, that this is not all there is that there's something else beyond this. And until you meet Christ, you're not prepared for that. And so you're, you're, you're constantly sort of self-medicating with fun things and with pleasurable things and enjoyable things. But listen, listen, when that medication wears off and you gotta still go to work and you gotta still deal with problems and issues, all of a sudden that pain and that sensation comes back that says this, I'm not ready for the day of judgment. And they, those who are ungodly, not only are they unhappy, but here's why they're unhappy, because they know judgment is coming and I'm not ready for it. I'm not prepared. And at the end of the day, here's why, here's why godly people are happy, because they know this, they know that judgment is coming and they know I'm ready for it. I'm ready to stand before God. Oh, there, there are definitely things that can be improved upon in my life, no question about it. You pray for me and I'll pray for you that we can all improve in areas of weakness. But here's, here's the one thing that I know for sure. I know, I know that the gates of heaven will swing wide for me, not because of what I've done, but because I've placed my faith and my trust in God's dear son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, no matter what happens, no matter what happens in this world, I can be 
happy. Cancer diagnosis, the worst thing that any of us probably could possibly begin to imagine. But hold on a minute. What's at the end of that? The end of that is heaven and eternal life and being in the presence of my Savior forevermore. I, I suppose, I suppose I can smile even in the midst of a cancer diagnosis. We have a family with us this morning. I hope I don't embarrass them, but the Kozachenko family, and we support this family. They're church planners in this country of Ukraine. Mrs. Kozachenko's here with her children. She's been separated from her husband since late February, I believe, or maybe early March. They felt like that was the safest thing for them to do for their family. Haven't seen, haven't seen each other. They've been talking on the phone, emailing, FaceTiming, that sort of thing, but they have not been in one another's presence. So you spend time with them, and there's still joy and happiness. Why? Why? Because they know God is in control. And because they know God, and they have a relationship with him. I'm just simply saying, listen, this isn't some fairy tale. This isn't some pipe dream. This is real. This happiness is real. We look around our world, we wonder, why are so many people unhappy? Why are so many people miserable? And right here, Psalm 1 gives us the full and complete picture. Until you meet Jesus, until you acknowledge him for who he really is, you will forever remain unhappy. But the day, oh, the day that you meet him and you believe on him and you profess your faith and trust in him, oh, listen, listen, in that day now you're prepared for judgment. You will stand in the day of judgment, not on your own merits and your own works, but you will stand there based on the merits and the works of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Why are people unhappy? Well, most of them are unhappy because they're not prepared for this day of judgment. All of my self-righteousness is insufficient, but the blood of Christ, coupled with his fulfillment of all things required by the law of Moses, has the power to deliver me from the power of darkness and to send me into the kingdom of, of light. Are you certain? Are you certain that you will stand on that day of judgment? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment. Psalm 1, one of the great, truly great chapters in all of the Bible. Because it, it really talks about the, the whole purpose for man's life and for his existence. God, God cre- Listen, God created you to be happy. Now you hear people say that a lot, right? Oh, I should be happy. God wants me to be happy. God does want you to be happy. He truly does. But understand this. There is not a thing. There is not a thing here in this world that will provide that happiness apart from this book and a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Sometimes people say, God wants me to be happy, therefore I need to divorce my spouse. That won't make you happy. It'll just complicate things. Here's what I would say. God does want you to be happy. So don't divorce your spouse. Get in this book and live it. Be happy, therefore I need to leave this job and I need to move somewhere else. And I need, you know, God wants you to be happy, therefore, therefore acknowledge his son, Jesus Christ. Believe in him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. 